Healing can happen when people share their stories. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation. Discover true stories from those who were called to sit in the witness chair. Experience their journey through their legal process and beyond. This podcast brings to light the trauma and stress caused by testifying under oath and offers resources by talking with witnesses, key litigators, and mental wellness professionals to assist with different approaches one can utilize to prepare to take the stand and how to heal after the encounter. And now, here's your host, Juliet Huck. Welcome to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation coming to you from sunny Los Angeles, California. Today, I have an amazing guest who is quite the decorated trial attorney. Uh, He has 25 years of experience in business and real estate litigation. He's rated AV preeminent by his peers, Martin Dare Hubbard, which is the highest rating a lawyer can get and only obtained by 10% of attorneys, which is pretty quite incredible there, Roy. Mm -hmm. It's America's top 100 high stake litigators distinguished attorneys from Beverly Hills Bar Association and LGBTQ Long Beach Bar Association. And recently named this year, I just found out, the Southern California Super Lawyers. Well, congratulations for that, Roy. So uh, please welcome Roy Jimenez. Thank you. Roy's with, I'm going to call it TLD, uh, Treadway Loomsdale Doyle. Am I saying that perfectly correct there, Roy? Um, located in Southern California. Just what a what an accomplishment you are. I'm not so... So proud to have you on today and so grateful that you took the time to talk with me about the subject of witness prep and how to go to trial. So um, so let's get jumping in here. So what, what sparked you to want to be a litigator? I think a big part of it was just growing up watching a lot of television, seeing all of those uh, crime shows and just seeing the excitement of Perry Mason type shows or Law and Order. Um, they're all just interesting and intriguing to me. So like being in the courtroom versus just being behind a desk and writing briefs and <laughs> what you probably spent your early days doing. Yeah, exactly. But I always knew I wanted to be a litigator and, you know, be very hands-on in the courtroom. And so when, what was your first jury trial? When was your first jury trial and how old were you? Uh, my first jury trial was in April or May of 1997. Uh, I was still uh, a law clerk. I was a certified law clerk for the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. And part of that program, you're able to conduct a, a jury trial if you show that you have the aptitude to do so. Um, so I was able to do 40 preliminary hearings on my own. And then um, one of the deputy DAs allowed me to do my, my, my first jury trial before I became a, a lawyer or even graduated from law school. So how did it feel walking into in front of a jury for the first time? How did, how did that feel? Um. Well, it, it was extremely nervous, uh, to say the least. Um, I was very young. I mean, people always say I look young, but I probably looked even more young uh, back in 1997. <laughs> and so uh, it was it was intimidating and, and a bit overwhelming, but this is what I always wanted to do. So I was excited and was just kind of going on adrenaline. Oh, that's really great. So how did you do? I won. I won, um, and it was a, a, a great case because I was actually helping a woman uh, enforce, uh, well, violations of a, of a domestic violence order, restraining order, and she really needed to make sure that this gentleman was not going to be out of jail. 
and so uh, it was very re- rewarding in order to to help this woman and and um, you know get justice for her. Big first shot in the arm. Then was uh, did she have to testify? Yes, yes, she had to testify. Okay, so I want to talk to you about that here in a quick second because that's really what I want to talk about. How you have learned to prepare witnesses from that probably that very first trial you've ever had all the way you know through today. So, so you know my background being in, in litigation and consulting. I've worked in the litigation field for a long time and I've worked with a lot of witnesses. And there's, I've found that there's really two types of witnesses. You've got your expert witness and then you've got your lay witness. Can you explain the difference in those two just to our listeners? Right, right, yeah. So for your expert witnesses, you know, they, these are polished um, individuals that are highly educated and are experts in their background. And so well, what they do for a living is basically make opinions and testify about them. And so they know how to how to testify, how to communicate with the jury, how to make eye contact, how to do all those things that are important to to getting credibility for the witness and eventually helping you know, win your case. Um, lay witnesses are or the rest of us. Right. You know, I would even consider, consider myself a lay witness because I don't testify regularly. Um but they're just everyday people, whether they're CEOs of a corporation or, you know, like, like the lady even the for the restraining order, uh, they're just individuals and they run the gamut as far as their, um, you know, education levels, um, communication skills, uh, and confidence. So each one has needs a different type of preparation, you know, before they take the stand. Good. So we're gonna we're gonna get into that because that's that's something that I. I'm called in a lot of times to do, to help, you know, assist attorneys to do that, to help them be storytellers versus so scared in the process. But um, it looks like you had one of the top total jury verdicts in 2020. I did not know this about you, my friend. And um, it looks like over a million dollars. Can you tell me about that case? Yes. Um, and, and just as a caveat, 2020 is when the courts shut down. So I didn't have a lot of competition that year. Uh, I was going to say <laughs> I, w- I was in trial in 2022. It was very, very interesting, a huge patent case, but it all went to the bench. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a jury trial and it was a, a partnership dispute between two physicians. And we actually obtained the, the jury verdict on, I remember, Friday the 13th of March, just days before you know everything was shut down for the pandemic. Um, and so that was a, a a great victory, not just because we won, but also we, we we beat the clock as far as having a mistrial, which would have been devastating to both sides financially. Yeah, that would have been also probably tough on the witnesses to kind of string that out and string that along because I've been a witness myself and stringing it out is always very stressful. You think you're done and then it's not and then you come back and then you have to relive and keep throwing. So how how do you handle witnesses like that, that, that you do have to string out that are, you know, maybe six months of their life is turned upside down what do you how do you walk them through that process well i, I think I, I try to give them the um you know the, the silver lining you know you have to explain how important it is that their testimony is to the case and how uh, impactful their testimony will be um to to both sides really but especially if i need that witness to, to my client and my client's needs um and i also talk about how you know we're uh, country of laws and our judicial system is one of the best in the world and their their participation in testifying is not just a part of this short case but it's part of our, our system and that it, it really is a privilege to to have such a system 
um, and then just encourage them to, to stick it through and let them know that I'm going to be there to help them, you know, with any questions or anxieties they may have throughout the process. Yeah, I've never looked at it like that, Roy. That's actually a really great way to look at it. It's, it's a privilege. It's a, it's a process. It's, um, you kind of feel like you're, you know, David against Goliath at times. And I'm sure I was wondering kind of if your doctor felt like that against a medical group or against another doctor, you know, especially when you're in, now your reputation is out there and you're in a lawsuit together. And how do you handle a client like that, that, you know, has got his reputation also on the line and trying to do his everyday work every day, but yet stand up for what, you know, he deserves. How do you handle that? Yeah. Um, actually, but my client, she, she's an amazing person in, in her own right. Um, she had a polio uh, as a child. And as a result, she uh, relied upon crutches and, and a wheelchair to, to, uh, for mobility. And, but she was a, quite an accomplished surgeon. And she used to do her surgeries on crutches. And um, she's just a phenomenal woman. And this case was about her, her business partner uh, of over 20 years, friends, raised children together. You know, their, their kids were friends. And she mm-hmm. found out that uh, he was skimming off, you know, the, the books. And he was pocketing money for himself. Um, you know, after all she had worked for and accomplished, uh, he, this person who she trusted so much uh, was actually the person that was doing her the most harm. So I think that really motivated her to to stand up for what she believed was right. Well, and emotionally too, that I'm sure that, you know, this thing I'm trying to get to on some of these witness issues too, I mean, it's an emotional, you know, journey as much as it is a factual journey in which, you know, that's been my intrigue with trial is that, yeah, it's, it's about the facts, ma'am, but there's a lot more to it than that, right? I mean, you've got a client that has to still have a family, perform a job. How did you help her through that emotionally? Well, I think emotionally, I was able to to tell her that um, that I believed in her case, that I believed that that she was had the better uh, odds of winning. You know, not, we're not allowed to give odds, but you know, telling her that she has a, a stronger sure. case than the other side, and that um, I'm going to do all I can to make sure that that she prevails. I also uh, would constantly remind her of of the facts and documents and key evidence that we had in order to, for her to feel confident and. Um, you know, investing emotionally, financially, you know, and, and litigating the case. Oh, that's, that's a great technique as well, just to give them that confidence to say, look, we have this because there's times I've had clients come to me and I know you and I worked really briefly on a, a short little stint. And one of the things I always like to look at is the bad facts. <laughs> and a lot of times the lawyers are like, whoa, well, well, let's wait a minute. But I always felt like if we just pulled a bandaid off of everything with the witness, then there's not a whole lot of surprises coming. I mean, do you feel the same way that they, then they're kind of like, they know what's bad. They know what's good. There's just that unknown of stigma kind of goes away. Have you ever found that? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, from the very first initial consult I have with them, I tell them what I think about their case, tell them what's good about it and what's bad about it, you know, before they even sign up so that they know um, what we have to deal with and whether they're prepared to deal with those negative facts. Um, the worst client or witness is the one that that withholds the negative information. And so I can't deal with it, you know, proactively I'm de- dealing with it after the fact, which is, you never want to do that, especially in front of a, a, a judge or jury. Right. Right. Cause that, that surprise is nothing worse. I've been in multiple places where all of a sudden there's the surprise email, 
popping up on the screen, eight foot big, you know, exactly. <laughs> sort of like, so what kind of technique would you use like with a witness? Like when you're sitting down and talking with them, do you follow up with them? Do you, let's say you've got somebody who comes in and you know, they're just petrified and uh, this is going to be a traumatic scenario sitting on the stand. And I'll, I'll tell you where this podcast really started for me is when I started watching the George Floyd trial. Um, you know, the kids just picked up a cell phone and the next thing you know, it was the biggest thing that's happened in the change of our culture. And yet these young kids had no idea how their lives were going to change with that little piece of evidence. And, you know, a lot of people don't really understand how evidence works. They don't really understand how it doesn't work. Um, just because they think it to be so doesn't mean that's the way the law works. So when you have someone, you know, that really is like, no, this is the way it happened, but the law doesn't, you know, work that way. How do you, how do you explain that to them? Do you just Talk to me about that. Yeah, what I try to do is, is draw an analogy um, to something that they can relate to. But, but you know, an example I, I try to give uh, to some people, they say, well, this is a very good case. We're, we're guaranteed to win, right? And I have to explain to them, well, there are no guarantees. You know, you're always going to have a trier of fact that has a different background, different history, whether it's a judge or a jury, and they not, may not see the same set of facts the way you do. And I always give the, the OJ uh, trial as an example of, you know, you may have all the facts and evidence in your mind that, that seems to be 99% on your side, but the jury didn't see it that way, right? And so you, they have to understand that. And most people, you know, at least a, a certain age can relate to the, the OJ trial and the reactions that a lot of the nation had uh, on both sides of, of the verdict. Um, and so I always try to use that particular one when people are asking about uh, slam dunks and guarantees on winning. Right. Well, that's a great example because, you know, OJ being one of the first, you know, cameras in the courtroom, you know, we've come so far, you know, I, I worked on the Scott Peterson case and that was a big thing for us. Did we want the cameras in? Did we not want the cameras in? What was the, you know, repercussions of the OJ trial and that kind of thing. And so how, you know, today we're able to go to online and watch something happening live. Right. Um, so a lot of that stigma, I think, is also somewhat taken out of it. But yet I know for myself, as I was testifying in my deposition, it was one of the worst days of my life. And it was so hard because everybody was like, oh, you're going to be great at this. You're in this business. And that's not true, is it? No, no, it's not true. I've been, I've been deposed once myself, and it's very difficult being a witness, um, even if you're experienced in, in the, the legal profession. You always fall into the same uh roadblocks or traps you, you coach your witnesses not to to fall into right. and me, me being a lawyer think i know it all and i want to explain everything which that's <laughs> the first thing you tell your client just say yes no i don't know or i i don't recall yet right. we, we all fall into the same um traps i totally fell i've totally fell into that that was like this like okay stop 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 there and i'm like yeah but that's not what happened and i'm like i know better but i didn't <laughs> so how far in advance do you usually prep your witnesses before they go on the stand well, you know, it, it all depends on the witness and my relationship with them. So, uh, you know, if, if they're a client, you know, we, we start, you know, probably two weeks in advance and, and continually to work on that as, as you approach the, the date of, of the testimony. Um, some witnesses are, are hostile witnesses and you may not have any time to, to prep them and you just have to, you know, if they're truly hostile, I'll have a deposition of them, of course, so I can... Uh, 
utilize in order to get my my cross examination questions uh, prepared and and have a page and line reference for whenever they they go off the uh, their deposition transcript. Um, and then there's everything in the middle between those types of scenarios. So sometimes you have a witness who who's busy at work and doesn't have time to come in for prep. So you're prepping them, you know, during the lunch hour break, you know, in the cafeteria at the courthouse. Um, so th there's a, a big variety in, in, uh, in the ways that I have to prep witnesses for trial. Can you uh, give me like, I mean, I know what the definition is, but those who don't a hostile witness, what would that what is that definition? Yeah, it's a witness who uh, is not either doesn't want to testify at all for either side and they're, they're being very evasive and, and do not want to cooperate. Or it could be a witness who uh, favors the other side of, of the case and uh, wants to do harm to, to my case. And so uh, I have to treat them differently than I would a, a person who is uh, on my side. Yeah. So for, so for most that don't know, uh, you can also have, you know, a, you're going to have your direct exam or a cross exam. Cross exam would be someone from the other side who would be more hostile, obviously doesn't want to give you everything you want to know. And so that that's probably a little different in the sense. But do you have you ever found someone that's like a, a hostile witness that's more nervous or sad or, you know, in that scenario versus somebody who's just mad and not cooperating? Uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of times when you're cross examining a witness, uh, especially it could be like the, the plaintiff or the defendant on the other side of, of the case. And, you know, in the, um, in, in the, the last case, the, the doctor, the physician case, uh, I was cross-examining the, the bad guy and, um, he got very upset, got very emotional, um, was refusing to answer my questions. Um, so I had to have the judge intervene and, and admonish the witness in order to make sure that, that he was, uh, being just answering my questions, you know, whether he was going to answer truthfully mm -hmm. or not is, is one thing, but he was just being evasive and um, non-responsive and emotional. And emotional. And was the, was the emotional uh, anger? Was it just frustration? It was, um, it was anger. Uh, it was a lot of anger. Uh, and then there was also some frustration as well. Um, but he, he justified in his mind that what he did was okay because he felt he worked harder than his, his partner and therefore he, he was entitled to more money. And so just getting him to, to admit that that wasn't the part of the, the partnership agreement that you could just take more money if you worked harder. Um, that, that was a hard pill for him to swallow and I had to drill it down into him so that the jury could understand. Um, so, Let's go back to your witness, uh, the woman, your first trial. So this person, this woman had to testify. Um, was she in front of her husband, her ex? Or... Yes, yes, she was. She had to testify in front of him. Um, she was uh, scared. She was emotional. Um, she was in tears. So it was uh, probably one of the most emotional witnesses I think I probably had in my career, you know, when I was you know, a law student, right off the bat, yeah. And so, so how did how did how did you walk her through that after? Not just necessarily during the process, but did you, you know, how? Because I'm also looking for you know, like how do people heal from this process and have to go through that? I'm sure that was very tough for her. 
And I'm sure that it was, you know, I've got a couple other guests that they've had to relive a murder or they've had to, you know, go back through that. And so did you, do you talk with them about how to recover if they need to get help or, I mean, I'm sure back then, you know, you were so young (laughs) going through the process, but today, like, you know, have you ever, if you've seen a witness breakdown and you know, it's somebody you have a relationship with, I mean, what do you do? Do you follow up with them? Do you process? Um, Most of the time, most witnesses just want to hear that they did a good job and that they're not going to have to testify again. Um, A lot of witnesses, you know, some just want to hug. You know, it, it's it's yeah. it's one of those things. It's healing. It's healing. Right? Yeah. It's healing. And that's the whole goal here with this podcast is what is healing after you come out of trial? What What is, um, you know, there's a little known fact about me. I'm actually a, a certified breathwork meditation teacher. And one of the things I've always thought would be interesting to do was follow up with meditation, follow up with mindfulness or start off with some mindfulness exercises like I said, I've been called in many times from clients that said, you know, my client, the client's breaking down and they just want to talk to you. And I think sometimes too, it's just listening, right? I mean, just, they want to know you're there just in case something's falls apart or um, have you experienced that as well? Like just almost, I don't want to say handholding as much because it's more emotional than just handholding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many times they just want to have a sounding board, somebody they can talk to have follow-up questions uh, about what's going on through their mind. Um, you know, sometimes we're waiting for a jury is deliberating and they're second-guessing, you know, their testimony or facts or documents. And so you just have to reassure them that we did the best that we could. We put in every piece of evidence that was uh, legally possible and that, you know, right now it's out of our hands. So we can't really uh, try to second-guess you know, what we did and how we did it because we did the best that we could. Yeah, it's in the past at that point and it's in the courts and it's in the record. And you ever feel like a therapist? All the time, all the time. <laughs> so uh, many times uh, clients love to talk and and just get some advice and counseling. Um, you know, it, it's not quite the same because my hourly rate is higher than probably their therapist. <laughs> So uh, I try I try to, to give them some comfort and advice and, and try to keep it short and sweet as well to save them from large fees. Yeah, well, that's that's actually very honorable as well, just to like let, give them some kind of sounding board. But would you ever consider put it, sending a witness to like to a more holistic way of trying to get through witness prep? I've, I've never considered that, actually. Um, it's probably a good idea. Uh, but I've never um, thought about a holistic approach to, to testifying or, or, or comfort. But that's probably a, a good idea, especially for those witnesses that are having a, an extremely difficult time with the idea of testifying. Yeah, that's, uh, like I said, I, I learned the uh, breath work method that uh, it changed my life years ago. And uh, I still use it as a consultant because, you know, it's hard being in that room with them. It's hard, you know, you, weigh, you take on a lot of that weight as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's very draining. You know? And so to kind of get that healing back for you and get your gas tank fill again. And what, what do you do? Um, well, I, I, I work out. I'll go to the gym after court, um, try to reduce some of the, the stress. Um, when a trial is over, I usually get a massage. So I do the kind of holistic oh, approach uh, myself because I, I know that uh, it's extremely draining on, on a person. 
I, I can physically notice a difference in my body chemistry from when I'm in trial and when I'm out of trial. It's that significant. Yeah. Yeah, I always called it the post-trial flu. I would always get sick. Yeah. <laughs> and I was it was always because I probably had so many witnesses and so many, you know, attorneys and all, you know, all that energy is moving at all times. And um, I think we just get so involved in like the facts and the the day-to-day that we forget there's this energetic thing that's going on around us that's so intense sometimes. Um, so maybe recommending that massage to your witnesses too is uh should be in your playbook because <laughs> yeah. it's true I, as soon as i get out of trial i'm going to do meditation i'm going to get my massage and see my chiropractor you know it's mind body spirit kind of get to the beach and i think that that's one of the things that i'm hoping i can get listeners to to think about if they have to go prepare to trial what, what are you doing pre-trial and then what kind of aftercare are you doing to take care of yourself because you sometimes also have to be in that bubble right where nobody you can't talk about anything can't talk to your family can't talk to anybody around you, you have to keep everything really quiet. And that can be combustible, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, when you're in trial, it's kind of uh, takes over your whole your whole world for that period of time. And it's very difficult to try to keep it all bundled inside of you. Um, so once the trial is over, it, it's really a, a chance to kind of have, you know, an emotional release and, uh, and you know, hopefully a celebratory really, you know, reaction as well. <laughs> I always take my clients out to dinner afterwards. We'll win or lose, but it's always more fun when we win. Um, and so uh, having, you know, celebrations and, and relaxation, I think, are, are a good way to to recuperate from a, a life. Yeah, and, and you're honoring the process. It's, it's kind of an honoring the process, having some closure to, you know, that's one of the things that I always promised myself. I wanted to be there at opening statement and I wanted to be there for closing arguments. So there was some, you know, solid, you know, closure to, you know, something might be working on for, I mean, some cases, what years possibly? I mean, I know for me, 15 years is my longest. And that's, uh, but you've also got witnesses that are their whole lives on the line, you know, with money and, contracts and things like that, I would imagine that would have to be some type of relief that it's over yet. What do I do now? So do they ever call you long after or do you follow up with them? Yeah, I always follow up, you know, maybe weeks later or days later just to see how they're doing, um, see if they have any questions that, that need to be answered, you know, and, and just, you know, I also like to get feedback. So I'll, I'll solicit feedback to see, you know, what, what they enjoyed about the representation and about the experience and what are areas that I can improve on. Because um, it's always, you always learn something from every case. Um, so I, I try to stay in contact. And a lot of times they don't want to talk to you because, you know, it's like, it's a, you're reminding them of a bad memory. You're the reminder, right? Yeah. And so I try to, to follow up with, with pleasantries. You know, maybe I'll send them a gift or something like that and, and or you know, take them out to dinner or do something pleasant so that they can um, move on from Roy, the, the guy who litigated my case, to, to Roy, my, back, to, back to my confidant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, what have you learned? What, what's your biggest lesson with witnesses? Or do you have an example of something that you just learned that was like just a huge epiphany? As far as um, what I've learned, I mean, I've learned so much uh, over the years. Um, you know, a lot of the things that, that are important are, are kind of, I think, already well known. Like, never ask a, a, a witness a question that you don't know the answer to. Um, but I think, as far as uh, you know, witness preparation, the the biggest, um, 
I think, task or, or goal that you should have is making sure that your witness feels um, comfortable on the stand and feels that they can tell the truth, you know, without consequence, you know, as long as they're telling the truth, because I can always work with the truth, you know, I can always work with 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 the facts of the case. I mean, I know the facts of the case cold by the time we go to trial. So sure. I want them to, to realize that even though um, this may be the first time that the jury or the judge is hearing um, their story, um, I know their story. And so I like their story and they should be feel comfortable telling their story. That's great. That's yeah. I was going to ask you if you gave any advice and you just answered my question. That's, that's fantastic because it's, it's, um, I love to hear when people talk about truth because that's that's part of the process, right? We're supposed to be here to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Yet um, it's scary to tell the truth, right? I mean, it's it's um, can be a scary place to really put yourself out there and and tell the truth, like your very first you know case that you had, and to feel that that it is your truth is going to honor you versus it's going to hurt you. And um, so I know that you're. Uh, I know you're a wonderful attorney because you've had great successes and you've had great witnesses. And um, I just really want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your brilliant insight. Thank you, Julia. I want to thank Roy for really coming forward today, Roy, and just being very upfront about you know your process of prepping. And if there's anything here that anybody can take away, I hope that you will continue to listen to Trial, Trauma, and Transformation. And uh, we can give you some insight on how to prepare for trial, but yet have to get through the process and then how to take care of yourself afterwards and do some healing around it and honor yourself that uh, it's not an easy process. But like Roy said, it's a privilege and I hope we can continue to bring you great information you can use. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Trauma, Trial and Transformation. If you want to share your experience as a witness, please forward your information to info at juliethuck.com. For more information on Juliet's 30-year career in the courtroom, visit us at juliethuck.com. There you can find your books, The Equation of Persuasion, and 50 Ways to Get Your Way, available on Amazon. Remember to follow and subscribe to Trauma, Trial, and Transformation wherever you listen to podcasts. The content, opinions, and information shared by the hosts and guests on this podcast are not to be considered professional legal advice or therapeutic counseling. If you need assistance, consult with a licensed attorney or therapist if you are appearing as a witness, experiencing emotional trauma, or are involved in any sensitive legal matters. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Thank you.